everybody, can you hear my voice? Yes, a little else, Sam. Ah, tough shit, you got no choice. So grab a glass and sit back in your chair. Cause Uncorked is going live to Let's welcome everybody to Uncorked Whiskey Sessions. I'm Dr. Whiskey. And I'm Boutique Dave. And this is episode 16, World Rye. 16. So 16? we've done oh. 10 episodes since lockdown. Because I was just looking. It was, yeah, episode six, I think we spoke about rye. And that was right before, that was one of the last episodes we did in the uh, tasting room. In the lab, yeah. Yeah, blimey. Yeah, well, we did, we did a couple of... Um, during the early lockdown, we did two episodes during a month, didn't we? We were we were trying to keep busy, um, and now we're very busy because we've been launching whiskies, not just boutiques, but all sorts of things from Atom Brands coming out as well, hasn't it? It's def- it definitely. I'm sure our guests will confirm this, but it certainly feels like Christmas around here because we are all prepping for Christmas with new whiskies, both from boutique and like yeah, like you said, other whiskey. But this is not an advertisement for us. This is a chance it's to talk not- to people. What are we talking about today, Dave? We are talking about rye again, world rye, um, and I'm drinking rye right now as I have one of our guests' whiskey in my glass. I have the few rye with me. I have a few rye. It's um, it's actually one of my go-to ryes, certainly. I must admit, it is one of our go-to ryes. And I was fortunate enough that when I first started working with the company and doing whiskey shows, that my daughter was running the American craft side of things, and so she was regularly pouring this whiskey um into my no into my glass no i was regularly pouring it into my glass she was pouring it for everybody else so yes we have two guests who are big into their eyes one from the united states and one from finland seems apt uh we have spoken about rye before in an american context so now we can do it a bit wider is that the idea i think that's the idea i think there's a lot more to talk about rye. i mean we just talked about rye coming over to the states yeah um, being brought over by European settlers. But I wanted to dig deeper and find out just what was going on with rye in Europe beforehand, because there's no real mention of rye in Scotch whiskey. Very little. I tried to dig really deep to find any mention of, of rye in Scotch whiskey. So it must have been coming from Europe, European distillers, um, and, and that's why I wanted to try and dig a bit back there and see how it got, came across, where it came from. Well, earlier today, I think you were speaking to Patrick Zwiedam, weren't you? I was indeed talking to Patrick today from uh, Millstone Whiskey, yes. So yeah, you've already got rye. Rye's already been on the tip of your tongue, both in your glass and speaking about it. So let's introduce our guest, shall we? Yes, please. Are you doing that? You go ahead. You, well, you mentioned few. So who's here? <laughs> I did. Okay, we have Paul from A Few Spirits, uh, founder and distiller of Few Spirits, uh, a maverick for the ages. Paul has worn many hats before launching a few spirits. This is what I'm reading straight off his bio here. Many hats with with a hairline like that. Jesus. Hats. We like hats on this show. We do like hats. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Shall I put my hat on? I I should put my hat on for this as soon as he... There you go. I can't. I've got headphones on. Okay. Yeah, he loves to make new things. Um, Whether making blueprints as an engineer. Are you an engineer as well, Paul, are you? I trained that way. Wow. Amazing. Engineers and whiskey, eh? What is it? 
deals as a lawyer or music for his rock and roll band. You're another musician. Wow. We had to have you on. And Dave was an engineer too, guys. That's why that's 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 why it's resonating, isn't it? All right. Yeah, that's why it's an engineer. Yeah. Um at his core, creative and always wants to bring something to the table that hasn't been done before. Welcome to the show, Paul. Oh, glad to be here. Good to see you again. It's been uh it's been a hot minute uh, since I've been able to be over in the UK, but uh I'm guessing we all understand why. It's been almost a year, hasn't it? Yeah, it would have been last uh, Whiskey Festival, wouldn't it? Whiskey show last year. No, so I, was, I missed last year's. So it's been a year and a half, I think, brother. Blimey. It's even longer than that. Yeah, it's wow. terrible. It feels even longer, too, doesn't it? Just because the time's moving a bit slower, I feel, with lockdown and the changes in the world. But glad you could be here. We're traveling around the world through the internet. Someone from Kiro's here. Yep, Mika's in the house. It was ex- almost exactly a year ago, Mika, that we were in the same room above the beautiful Black Rock Tavern talking about Rye with our friend Alan Katz. Um, and was there someone else there? It was just us. It was just, uh, oh, Michael Vachon. Of course, Michael Vachon was there as well. So you and your buddies founded Kiro Distillery eight years ago uh, after a lovely sauna experience. Sauna, a night in the sauna leads to great things. Drinking a bottle of rye whiskey and then thinking, hey, we eat a lot of rye bread. Why don't we do something with this? Tell us more about that in a sec. Thanks a lot for being here, Mika. Good to see you again, bud. Thanks for inviting me. It's uh, great to be here and talking to such rye whiskey luminaries as yourselves. <laughs> well, I know you're, you got a music you got a music passion as well, so there is that tie-in. Uh, you're a football fan, and you're also into your sci-fi. What, what's, what kind of sci-fi do you geek out about? Recently, I've, uh, I've gotten into... Um, reading some Chinese sci-fi because it's really interesting to see a different perspective on what an either like um, utopian or a dystopian future looks like coming from a very different culture. So it's been an interesting ride. Well, speaking of rides and rye and dystopia, you know, I have a snack here. I have a snack here that many people will think is from a dystopian parallel universe. Salty licorice, Turkish pepper. I've always got my snacks ready. That's for you, Mika. I don't know how you have that, but but that actually that particular snack or candy is used to transform any old uh, run-of-the-mill uh, bottle of booze into a licorice shot, and they're all all terrible, uh, no matter what anybody claims about their own recipe. But you know that's what we do. The winters are long and dark. <laughs> so you drop those in some spirits. Well, fortunately, you guys distill some awarded spirits and some of the finest rye whiskeys in the world. So I know you also do corn and other grains as well. We just we're going to focus on rye today, Dave. You want to take us into like I know we've covered off the history of rye in America, but what's what's the yeah. rye grain all about globally as a distilled well, spirit? Yeah, I did dig into it a little bit. The origin of rye. Um, it's believed to have originated in Asia in prehistoric times. It was brought to Europe in the Middle Ages. Uh, where it's widely been used in bread making, and I use it in my very own bread making. I always use rye flour in my bread making now. It just makes great bread. Uh, and for producing alcohols. Migrants from, as we were speaking about before, you know, migrants from Northern Europe brought that rye to the United States and, and certainly in New England and Canada. And I did a little bit of digging into rye in Scotch because there's no real mention on, of it earlier although there's i think there's about five or seven distilleries trying rye today um but when bernard visited port dundas if you go and grab i can't reach with these headphone leads on but <laughs> bernard's is just behind me behind me um 
Yeah, there was uh, 14 quarters of barley and rye in one of the granaries at Port Dundas in the 1880s. So they were definitely using rye in in grain whiskey at that time. Um, and certainly rye's role in grain whiskey production was definitely outlined in the Royal Commission of 1908 by three distillers, uh, one of them from DCL. Um, I'm trying to remember the other two off the top of my head, but it's just come off me but they were using rye in their grain whiskey in their continuous distillation not in pot still distillation but in in continuous distillation and that's about the last time it's sort of mentioned in the early 1900s um, and then it's just been very there's no mention of it in grain whiskey at all so where did it come from it must have come from from europe so i looked at where rye is predominantly grown in in europe and most of it is grown in germany and, and Poland. They're the two biggest um, regions of rye growing in Europe. And it was interesting because I also read that although most American distillers are using uh, rye from the Dakotas, um, Minnesota and Canada, uh, Four Roses were bringing in rye. Kentucky distillers are um, normally associated with bourbon, but they were actually making a rye and bringing it in from Germany, which is kind of new. new. Um, so I guess rye has been used in distilling in Europe for a long time because I think Poland, one of the biggest growers, uh, they use, um, they make something called Starka, which is from a fermented rye mash. So it's made like a whiskey and it's even wood aged, um, but they call, I think it's really known as a vodka um, over here nowadays. It's sort of marketed as a, as a vodka, not a whiskey, but it is a rye, double distilled. Um, and aged in oak barrels with small additions of linden tree and apple tree leaves. Hmm. Never heard of it, not tried it, um, but it was certainly known in Poland and Lithuania at least since the 15th century, so in parallel, uh, which is why these immigrants would have taken it to the States with them, I guess. Cool, that's a good bracket. So why don't we start in Europe then uh, with Kiro Distillery and Mika. Mika, what's the story? What do you guys get up to at, at Kiro with your rye and why? Well... You know, every everything and anything. Uh, rye is all we actually do. So we, we don't use any other source for uh, alcohol other than rye. And uh, we only use Finnish-grown rye as well. Um, so we are fairly particular about our raw materials. And uh, Finland, while not being the biggest grower of rye, obviously Germany and Poland being um, much bigger countries uh, in, a, in a farming sense, Finland is a massive country by landmass, but there's nobody here. There's just, you know, trees and lakes. And but um, we grow still a lot of rye, and we we love everything out of rye. We've even made uh, rye bread our national dish, which is, you know, might sound a bit boring, and it's boring, but still tells about our love, love of rye. And when we started doing this, we figured that, okay, let's, let's try to make it a whole different sort of tradition since we weren't encumbered by anything done in Scotland or anything done in Canada or USA. So we could just start our own own way of, uh, of turning rye into whiskey. And in the meanwhile, we obviously did rye-based jeans and we're still doing them and, and they got pretty big as well. So um, I'd say at this point, we've built three different distillery lines around making rye into whatever beautiful shapes and forms so as i said right everything amazing so 
the intention though, although you've had the new spirit, the white spirit that moved, used, turned into gin and it's become more popular than maybe you expected. The intention was always mature it. Let's make whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we, we went at real amateurs into the business and, and we've got various backgrounds as well. Uh, we've, we've got an engineer, we put him in charge of the brand and we've, we've got a couple of, um, uh, business people, we've, we've been put them in charge of the production. I don't know if we're doing this right, but we got something right. And and we started making whiskey uh, straight uh, straight out in 2014. And now we are just like a month ago, we released our first permanent on the shelves edition. Of course, there's still not enough volume there, but we're ramping up the production all the time. So we're now going on our third enlarged production line uh, for whiskey and trying to um, build out the stocks as well. But it's been a learning journey in, in Finland where there's no real tradition of, of uh, rye whiskey. There's been no tradition of craft spirits because back in 95, we were still completely uh, government controlled. So importation, uh, manufacturing, distribution, and sales of alcohol were all governments. So it's a whole new thing here. Exciting. Okay, we'll come back to a few things there because you did hint at the new product. I'd love to hear more about it, what it's going to be, what, what it's called, and if it's a similar recipe to, I mean, some of your whiskeys have received the highest marks at IWSC and other festivals uh, for world whiskeys, or indeed for, for whiskeys. It's some of the highest uh, regarded spirits at those festivals. But let's go to Paul. We'll come back to talk about that. Paul, how did Few get going? I know it has its roots in a place that there wasn't a lot of booze, but um, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, Fuse, yeah, obviously we're a small distillery. We're in, located in Evanston, Illinois, which is just immediately outside of Chicago. Um, let's see, we're about uh, two kilometers from the, from the city limits and about a kilometer from the lake. Uh, so we're kind of, you know, we're an urban distillery and we're famous, or Evanston is famous for being the birthplace of the United States Prohibition Movement. So how's that? So can, I know it's not specifically about few, but how's that? Because I think that's a really interesting historic narrative. So the city where we are again, Evanston, was actually started after a local university. Um, a group of Methodist ministers started a college here that they wanted to be as well known and on par with the great universities of the world: the Oxfords, the Cambridges, the Harvards, the Yaleses. Um, you know, trying to have this, you know, beacon of higher education in the Midwest. Uh, and, of course, they're Methodist, which is you know, not known for their partying lifestyle. Uh, but they were really going to be able to make sure that the students at Northwestern, you know, reached this peak of the best universities was to keep the demon alcohol away from them. And so the city was actually founded specifically to outlaw all alcohol. And as a result, it served as a natural home base for the political movement to outlaw alcohol in the U.S. because it was already dry here. And we were blessed or blessed by having, with the, uh, you know, blessed with the air quotes, I guess you can't see the video. Um, you know, we were hopeful, blessed to have this dry community and an amazingly talented and persuasive woman living here who ran the Women's Christian Temperance Union for many years, and her name was Frances Elizabeth Willard, which many people see a similarity with her initials and our name, although it is, of course, a total coincidence. 
And then when I decided to start a distillery, uh, living here in Evanston, it just seemed like a natural place to do it. And it was just an additional challenge that I had to kill Prohibition dead where it was born in order to do that. Um, but uh, I'm not one to shy down from the challenge. And may your name live on and having done that. That's that's pretty significant, man. It's a small, modest thing to set up a distillery, but it's it's pretty cool, I think. Yeah, it is what it is. I mean, we certainly do our best. We try. At the end of the day, it's the liquid and the glass that really matters, not the story. Uh, but whiskey, you know, whiskey is effectively a story in a glass anyways. So why not have a great story to go with the story that's in the glass? Well, what story have you got in your glass today? Dave, you already mentioned what you got. Yeah, I've um, I poured some few right because i have some in my cabinet um i'm gonna just go pour a little drop more because i sipped it too early i've i've got a few bourbon i'm gonna chuck in here oh nice nope. from a dram mika do you have anything or is it too I, do, but I neglected to take a glass so I'll, I'll get to that in a minute <laughs> no, no that's fine okay Oh, it's not even noon here, so I'm still drinking my coffee. I, I don't blame you. No, that's absolutely responsible of you and probably not true, but that's fine. That's that's very wise to keep it that way. Oh. Now, I put whiskey in a mug as well, so <laughs> you can't get away with that. I also am known for putting the cold cut bourbon out there, which is a bourbon cut to proof with cold brew coffee, uh, which uh, Maverick sold out of, I believe, in something like 24 hours. Um, after refusing to bring it in, they finally brought it in. So that's been there. And then we're right now launching our Immortal Rye, which, of course, is far more on point for a rye discussion. But the few Immortal Rye is brought to proof with uh, oolong tea, uh, cold extracted tea. So it kind of plays into the topic of the day with rye whiskey. Yeah, well, even it, that sort of innovation. I guess we could start with Mika. Mika, you, you guys, like you said, you... You were amateurs, you were enthusiasts, um, but had to learn on the fly, which is part of the appeal for me as a, as a whiskey drinker of a lot of the new distilleries around the world is that the people were driven by passion, not necessarily by profit, which is beautiful. There's something romantic and easy to latch onto there. So what sort of hardships or what sort of innovations have you been forced upon you um, as you've been developing? Well, there's, there's a ton, obviously, that we had to go through. And I think as Paul mentioned before, in the end of the day, it's about the liquid in the glass. But uh, what's what's great about this modern craft movement is that there's so many lovable amateurs in the, in the business, and uh, everybody finds their own way uh, somehow to to their goal of uh, of getting ready-made whiskey. And uh, um, in in that way, you solve things in a different uh, manner, even though you learn from others. And and the end results end, end up being something different all the way from the raw material you use to, to the methods and process and whatever. So some of the stuff we've, we've had to, so to cope with is that we decided from the get-go that we're going to work only with rye, and, and that goes for the, the mash bill um, itself. So it's 100% rye, and we want to just do it all molded. And um, just from you know learning what it costs, <laughs> to how to how to use it and how to extract in a flavor out of it, uh, which is 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 not overpowering and it's and it's something that we can develop in a cast. It, it was a journey on its own, but then there's like uh, some interesting stuff and then some like really silly, even stupid stuff that you run into with your local regulations. Like we had to install both heating and air conditioning in our whiskey barrel warehouse. 
because you know we, we have to keep above a certain uh, um, limit because Finland goes from minus 30 Celsius to plus 30 Celsius and and it's a big swing and nothing happens if it goes too low so we, we have to pump heat in there somehow but then the government tells us that whiskey uh, explodes if it heats up uh, over 22 degrees Celsius and we tried to tell them like you should really really go to Kentucky think about how, how it goes there but you know no we, we have to work with what we have and and therefore we've got um, we've now got the heating where we use our uh, distillery process exit heat we've got um, like um, misting uh, machines like uh, for moisturizing the space and, and keeping the humidity up and then we've got uh, a hard cutoff at 22 degrees where the AC turns on that's cooling the space. So yeah, I I think we're building the world's most expensive whiskey stockhouses at the moment. Nico, with your whiskey barrels exploding, which of course they won't. Uh, when we yeah. started, our inspectors uh, wanted us to heat the building because they were afraid that the whiskey and barrel was going to freeze, spill <laughs> everywhere. And what if you smash them together? <laughs> These <are laughs> regulators. No, right? <laughs> like, no, the whiskey's not going to freeze. Like, well, but if it gets really cold in here, it could freeze. Yeah. I'm like, no, if it gets that cold in here, the whole world's got some real problems. If, it, <laughs> uh, if it's that cold, I'm not super worried about my whiskey. I'm worried yeah. about my phone. Yeah. Natural freeze distillation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I love these kind of stories because they're sort of part of the unexpected. Here's another snack for you, Mika. I got all the hookups. But Paul, any similar story? I mean, other than obviously um, defeating the obstacle of being a dry, uh, Evanson not allowing alcohol. What? Anything else that you haven't seen along the way that's sort of uh, as equally ridiculous as what Finland tried to put on Mika and the team? I mean, I think there's always just ridiculous things, but uh, certainly the... Uh uh, you know, your whiskey barrels are going to freeze was definitely a really, really strong one and definitely a moment that stood out. Um, you know, we came in and took a picture of our thermostat, uh, which is great because the thermostat just has a wire leading out of it and it just kind of trails up into the ceiling where it goes to nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so he was happy. Uh, no, I, mean, I think there's just there's all these challenges. I know Mika kind of you know touched on it, but you know whiskey's really freaking hard to make and to scale and to grow because of the capital cycles. Um, and I don't think I really fully appreciated that when we started, uh, just how hard that cash flow cycle is um, because it keeps on going and it keeps on going and it keeps on going. Um, and then to grow, you have to dig even deeper because. That's how it works. Um, so, yeah. you know, it's a very challenging business, but it's also really exciting. And it's awesome to like watch like worldwide develop as different places are doing different things. Um, you know, Mika kind of, you know, he mentioned it, but he's kind of glossed over it a little bit. He'll probably talk about it more later, but I know at least Kiro primarily uses malted rye, if I'm not mistaken, if not exclusively. Yeah. And we don't use malted rye at all. And, you know, there's, I don't think that one way is better or worse than the other one, but the glory is that 
I do things different than Mika does. And you know, one person might like the Kira whiskey better. One person might like the few whiskey better. And the joy of whiskey is that we can all sit down, you know, toast a dram, talk about it, tell stories and become closer as friends and as family and loved ones and the people you care about. You know, whiskey is this magical drink. That's this amazing. So, you know, social, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, lubricant. And, you know, I think that's what we all, that's what we all really like is that moment, even more so than the flavor and the joy of drinking whiskey. It's the people you drink whiskey with that are the most important. Amen. Amen. I, 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 I just like to add to that, that exactly right. I mean, we find our own ways and we produce different sort of liquids and, and the beauty of it is in, in this modern craft movement that. Um, the uh, numbers of fans we go after uh, are are small enough that we can make something that's really, really personable and has has a real character. And me and Paul don't have the pressure of, of trying to make it instantly for, for the masses and, and try to just round out the edges and, and make it easily adoptable for everyone. Uh, we can go out there and experiment. Like there's, there's a ton of work in the craft world, which is you encounter it and you chase it once and, and you go, oh, interesting. <laughs> you know, it, it is a total vanity project by the head distiller or, or whoever. And, and, uh, and, you know, there's a room in the world for those as well. But uh, I, I guess eventually we all have to find our way of talking to those, those fans and those whiskey drinkers, uh, whether they're new or, or they're old. And, and, and find a way for them to really enjoy the product and get something uh, more into their lives uh, through it, rather than just you know us doing a ton of nerdy things and and hoping something sticks. Building a whiskey discover uh, whiskey distillery is a big step from from being a whiskey lover, isn't it? I mean, I, oh, I love whiskey and. and I know, let's build a distillery. And Mike, I mean, when did that go through your head that you think, yeah, let's build a distillery? We were we were about. Uh, two-thirds through a written note, dry, 100-proof bottle in a sauna, when, when I think somebody <laughs> that, you know, the, you know, this whiskey and rye thing we, we've been talking about for two hours, I mean, they should be put together and it should be done in Finland, should it be us, and everybody's like, in the, in the height of the power, and yeah, yeah, let's, let's do it. And wait a second, wait a second, you could get Rittenhouse rye in 2012? Yeah, but we struggled. Definitely struggled here. That's okay. Good to hear. Continue. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I, I think we got like because we're still we still have a government retail monopoly, which you know uh, is is a total laggard in most things. But sometimes they just find stuff out of their storehouses, and and you end up with uh, poor talents at uh, 150 euros because they don't know how to price them. But you know that that's another thing. But um, yeah, we we were drinking that, and and then we we ran out the sauna. And we started emailing people right away. I think some some of us didn't even take those novels. Uh, but we started, like, what is, what is the business of whiskey? And how, how do you do it? And how do you make it? And uh, how do you sell it? Uh, we were just enthusiastic about the whole thing. And I, I think I, I, I emailed Chip Tanks, who, who you might know. And and, and he was like, uh, oh, man, me, you know, I, I'd love to talk to you more about this, but I... I'm. Uh, I've just had uh, another kid, and and there's uh, there's a whole distillery to build, so I can't come to Finland and coach you guys. But 
uh, he was kind enough to, at uh, Control Industries, kind enough to lend some of his wisdom uh, to us, and and many more people have done it since. So we've been working at Duidama, we've been working at um, uh, Springbank and wherever to learn to learn the craft. So I think that, that from 2012 onwards, uh, that that's all a night. We we started on this epic rocky training mon montage type thing where we eventually ended up with the distillery. It is a community of rising tides, though, isn't it? It is a community that leans on each other and depends on each other. Even it, it, old world distilleries, obviously, that's still relevant in Scotland, I think, even though we're talking about a lot of multinational companies. It's still, for one industry, is really split across almost 40 different businesses, which is incredible um, for an industry so big. Paul? Yeah, I always think that distillers, the people actually making the whiskey, we're all friends. Yeah. Um, whether you are, I mean, Meek and I, we've been friends for what, six, seven years or so? Yeah, probably. Um, you were us around when we came like as total newbies to Chicago. Yeah, I don't remember how long we've been friends. We've been friends for many years. Um, yeah. you, know, you go down to Kentucky and all the, you know, all the big distilleries, all the guys actually making whiskey are friends and they use a lot of the same equipment because if a part breaks, they can go borrow their buddy's part and then replace it or, same in Scotland, and all of us little guys, few, Kiro, um, I think we all kind of operate the same way And that I kind of take the viewpoint that, you know, yeah, few and, you know, few and Kiro make whiskey together, so we, quote, compete, but we really don't. Um, you know, we compete, you, know, you know, I think our primary competition is people that either make bad spirit, which is obviously not Kiro, being very clear, Kiro makes this. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but uh, you know, our, I see my primary competition isn't even other liquor. It's not even other beer. It's not even wine. It's not even weed here in the U.S. where it's getting legal now. Um, my primary competition is Netflix. Um, <laughs> so that's, uh, <laughs> uh, that's just the reality. So you know, we want to make you know, I want people finding Kiro whiskey because once they find Kiro, they can find few them too, and vice versa. If they find few them, they can find Kiro and we all come up because people are going to find something like that. You know, sometimes, sometimes you want those kind of nice nutty flavors from the malted rye. Sometimes you want a little bit more spicy flavors from the unmalted rye. Um, whiskey drinkers don't drink one brand. They drink a few brands. Oh, nice. Oh. Got it in. <laughs> <laughs> you, you practice that all day into a into a gag come on guys like talk about egypt and cairo or something <laughs> the long, sometimes it's a long setup you might not see where i'm going with the joke and all of a sudden it gets dropped you're like oh and he went there <laughs> Well, look, I want, let, let, let's come back. Let, let's play a game, Dave, and let, just take a little break. But we should come back and talk. I'd like to talk more about the spirit of community, maybe the American Craft Spirits Organization, people coming together uh, more formally than the ways you just described. Because I know on Isla, when a boiler breaks uh, in the North Shore, the guys in the South Shore go help. And it, it's similar, as you said, Kentucky people. Everyone is uh, supportive of one another. But now these things are becoming more formal. There's, there's I've just been working on... Uh, blending Empire Rise together, for example, and things like that. And that's fascinating. And it's a totally new, exciting uh, thing. And I'd like to hear how, how, what sort of shape that's taking in your countries and then also in your wider spirits communities. But let's, let's take a break. Let's take play a game. 
And there was something you said earlier about Four Roses and the idea of terroir, Dave, that they were bringing grain from around the world. That we have talked about terroir on the show before, but let's come back to that after the game too, okay? So I made a few notes. Okay. Those are the two things um, I want to talk about before I let these guys go home. Okay, so let's play a game, shall we? Yes, please. So we always play a stupid game. If this is your first time suffering the show, this is normal. Yeah. Uh, so can you you can see this screen. Have I shared the right one? You're not le- reading my emails? No, we can see the pun, and it's really good. Yeah, well, we're, we're, well, before the people listening can't see the pun. So let's remember that as we go through this. We always need to say it out loud. Dave, help me with this. <laughs> so, yes, this game is called Rye or Wrong. It's very pun-tastic. Um, why not? Why not? Why not? Okay, so we've got a few questions. <laughs> ah, how well do you know your rye? It's not all about whiskey, Alan. No, of course not. So I don't know anything about this game. I haven't seen it. Um, here we go. Eyes down looking. Due to the due to its ability to thrive in poor soils, rye has been given the name Grain of... Grain of dot dot dot. We have, hopefully have some background music when we do the edit. Gentlemen, Grain buzz of- in. Oh, oh, whistle. He whistled in. We forgot to tell you how to... Get a bottle. Destiny. That's the best way to buzz in. Just with that sound. Buzz in if you have the answer, anybody. Rye's been given the name Grain. Grain of... According to the screen there, it's the grain of ellipses. Yeah. It says so right in the It's the grain it's the of grain destiny. I'm going to think the north. Grain of the north. Mm. Okay. Due to its ability to thrive in poor soils. Is that a clue? Poor? I don't know. Gr- grain of I, chance? I, I just keep thinking of grain of destiny because of, I don't know, it, it sounds cool, but let's have a look. What, what's the answer? The grain, grain of poverty. Really? Grain of poverty. You make whiskey from it, it definitely puts you into poverty. Yeah. <laughs> it is called the grain of poverty. Well, there we've learned something today. So rye is known as the grain of poverty. Uh, well, that okay. Okay. Wheat flour can absorb two times its weight in water, but how much can rye flour absorb? While you think about that, and the background music plays. Wow, John said this is a stupid game. This is a great. These are great questions. This is a really good question. These are well, right? Absorb all of the water because it just turns into glue. So I would just say that I would say the answer is all. (laughs) (laughs) Too much. One one dollar. I'm going to say nine times. Nine times. I was going to go double. I'm going to go for four. Okay. Um, it is eight. eight oh, wow. I overshot, and pr- it's Price is Right rules, right? So, no. That's why it glues up. Yeah, we've broken, uh, we broken two mixers, the mixer engines in, in our oh. mass because of rides. It's not great. Sorry? Even malted rye gets it, gets it that sticky? Yeah, uh, because, like, we don't do any laundering or filtering. We, we push the solids all the way to the steel. So it's um, it's a pretty horrible process. <laughs> wow. Okay. Sure makes a flavorsome drink, though. That's interesting. So now okay. you know why. Eight times. Ah, where is rye believed to have originated? 
Were you listening? Hands <laughs> up. <laughs> Southwestern Asia, yeah, we did. We had that at the beginning of the show, didn't we? Mm-mm-mm. How much rye must a Canadian rye whiskey oh, contain? Oh, you gotta pick on. You gotta pick on Canada, don't you? Gotta pick on us all. Is it? Oh, I screwed it up. Is it? Eight percent. Eight percent. Did you say eight, Paul? I did. Do you know? I'm. Well, Canadian rye named where? Because actually, I would say zero. Why? Oh, because you just call whiskey rye. Just as historically. Yeah. Okay. Um, there must be some rules. I'm going to go 25. 25%. Okay, let's see how much. Zero. We'll accept. Oh, I should have said fuck all. (laughs) Part of of that's in the phrasing of the question. Canadian whiskey is typically colloquially called rye. Um, So some of that's a little bit of an issue with the phrasing. Oh, on a technicality. Wow. I love a challenge like that. Thank you, Paul. Exactly. Is it 8% whiskey, but it doesn't actually require rye. So there's some phrasing issues there. I'm going to throw a flag on the question. <laughs> nice. Do you want all the points in, Paul? Is that what you're saying? I want all the points. I'm going to give you a yellow card as a warning on that, too. <laughs> John, you got a yellow, uh, yellow card for that one. Okay, as of 2018, which country produced the most rye globally? Oof. As a grain or as a spirit? Um, I have no idea. I would have thought as a grain. Oh, John pipes up with a comment. Look at this. I thought you were falling asleep or making dinner, man. You're actually here. I'm going for a little bit of that. Hey, that's a good question. I would say... Yeah, I'd say Canada as well. Canada the prairies, Canadian prairies. Also, maybe a Poland. Yeah, Mika's saying Germany, so I'll say Poland, unless you're taking Poland, Paul. No, I'm going to say Canada, but uh, I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't put all my money on this one for Final Jeopardy. Well, the Dakotas and Minnesota are big, big, big states, aren't they? So let's go the US. I'm going to get a red card here. Germany. Let's see what that is. Oh, Mika for the win. Wow. 2.2 million metric tons. For context, how many metric tons do you tend to use in a in a cycle? go through around 400 tons at the moment. A day? No. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Oh, go get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, cool. That's what we call investment. How about you, Paul? We do... We probably use three tons a week. So 150 tons a year-ish. Um... Maybe a little bit more, maybe closer to 200. I don't know, it's a good question. I just need to dig that myself. That puts the whole thing in context for sure. I mean, the other, your most recent release that you already mentioned, we'll talk about it again after after the break, but 
I yield like that. What's that? A few thousand bottles. Yeah, you don't get a whole lot of alcohol from rye, which is why using rye sucks. <laughs> That's why no one's done it. I don't answer this one, but Monongahela. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, which US which... location was ground zero for the Mon- Monongahela style? Monongahela. I will protest a very weighted question to weighted uh, for my colleague here. Oh, uh, <laughs> right, protest! I love it. Well, we actually Googled Monongahela to ask to say how we could pronounce it when we were doing our Y podcast a little while ago. But um, that's uh, that's the, um, we all know that one, don't we? It's on the Monongahela River, um, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Y, Monongahela. Yeah, Western PA. Western PA. There we go. Pittsburgh. I don't know oh, that's Pittsburgh. A, Western PA just sounds like a lyric in a Bruce Springsteen song. Paul wants the points. We all win prizes at the end. Everyone wins. Um, which country consumes the most rye, not whiskey, per person? I hope that's Finland. It's really? Well, da- Danish rye bread, Polish rye bread, German German rye. Uh, Finland consumes about like five times European average, but there's a ongoing debate whether we are the highest consumer. But generally, it's regarded as Russia or Poland. Can I say Russia? Russia. I'm, I'm, I was going to go with German because they make quite wide bread. I'm going to stick with Finland because it's per capita, not in total. Ah, yes, per person. You did right. Yes. Sneaky. Poland. Oh. 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 Polish. Polish right. Okay. In 2009, revenue from rye whiskey in the US totaled about 15 million. What was the figure in 2018? Oh, man. So it's, just, it's, it's obviously gone up, hasn't it, from 2009 to 18? Well, just volumes. I don't remember the exact numbers, Dave, but when we were looking at this, the, the numbers produced went up exponentially. So, yeah. I'm going to say 110 million. Yeah. 10 times? 150? 150. Hmm. I was going to go 10 well, times, but okay. If we're doing, uh, well, based on those guesses, if we're doing the is Right rules, I'm going to say $1, $1 Bob. 170. I'm going 175 then. I'll go 175. It was 205. Really? That's incredible. incredible. 15 to 205. That's a big jump. So that can't be just from the big producers. That's got to be attributed to something wider than that, is it not, guys? That's got to be to all the new distilleries that have started making, you know, the distillery from New York have all started using wine. Even the big guys started picking up on it at the end, didn't they? I and mean, they were slow to it. It was a, it was a smaller distillery's picking up on the ride first and then the big guys decided they ought to have some well, a lot of it was mgp and the change in australian tax <laughs> that's uh that's yeah. an baseball stuff there I, I was just about to say if i would be nasty about it i'd say it's the sales curve of mgp <laughs> <laughs> yeah. ah, cocktails are supposed to be the key factor apparently a little message there from producer john 
I had good questions, Joe. That's just... Yeah, these aren't shit at all. They're not funny, but they're good. <laughs> no, then. Which former U.S. president was once the largest producer of rye uh, whiskey in America? Paul's in there quick. He was I in there right that. away. Captain Washington right there. It is, definitely. We talked about that a little while ago, didn't we? We did. That's episode six. If you ever want to fall asleep, download the episode now. <laughs> Wait till this one's finished. <laughs> Wait till you finish falling asleep till this one. <laughs> okay, another question. In which location was the first recorded distillation of rye whiskey in the USA? Another US-centric one. Mika's getting angry. Yeah, where's all the Finnish one? Yes, come on. It comes at the end, I think. What's the name of the monopoly in Finland? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First, Pittsburgh was somewhere in PA. Yeah, it's got, it's going to be Pennsylvania. It's got to be, but whereabouts? Can accept New York, New Amsterdam in 1640. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I can go there. I think was it should be earlier than that, surely. Well recorded. Who knows? Uh, well, I mean, there is recorded evidence of corn, Native American corn, being distilled in in Virginia, wasn't it? In in sixteen twenty something. We had that a little while ago. We, anyway, that's cool. New Amsterdam. Check Somebody that fact in episode six. You know, racist, but the trademark New Amsterdam right? I'm sure there's no problems with doing that. Did everyone see Hudson's rebrand in the news this week? No. Tuttletown or Hudson, the Hudson Whiskey's oh, rebrand. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, very well, urban and shaking off the shackles of no, blue no. tasting whiskey and all the good for that. Is that too harsh? Okay, let's just get that good. Note, please. I didn't see that one, no. Um, that is the end of that game. Thanks, John. They were great questions. Um, I've learned a little bit today. I'm going to celebrate because I think I got one right with a, a dram of Millstone because I was talking to Patrick today. So Patrick came into distilling um, because his father was a distiller, so he grew up around distilling. But you two have just decided to take distilling to yeah, you know, from from a, a a thought in a sauna, or I don't know where you came to the. Uh, were, were you in a sauna at the same time, Paul? <laughs> no, I've got a little. Uh, I've got an int- much more intricate story than uh, sitting in a sauna with my mates. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, before World War II, my grandfather's family owned a major brewery in what's now the Czech Republic. Uh, obviously, everybody in Europe knows damn well what happened in 1939, but uh, if you don't, uh, Nazis invaded, and uh, they confiscated the brewery, uh, murdered the entire family in the camps. And Some of my best friends are brewish. There you go. Uh, but uh, my grandpa survived the camps, although nobody else did, and he spent the rest of his life trying to get the brewery back, but never did. And uh, when he died, it struck me that the whole family legacy and history is gone forever, uh, unless I do something about it. So I did, uh, and didn't want to be in the shadow of a major brewery. So uh, liquor made sense. Cool. That is a pretty cool story. That is incredible. And is there any, any connection to the name then too? Is or what, what was the name of that brewery or any of the? Uh, we don't really like talking about it because it's a major brewery. I'll tell you offline, but uh, sure, of course. Um, 
we don't really go on record because hey, it's also not super important. Fuse about legacy and history. It's not about trying to piss off somebody else or trying to, uh, you know, say that another brewery is bad. I mean, it's it's great beer. They make fantastic beer. We've all drank it. I've drank it. Um, it's, uh, seventy years ago, or some eighty years ago. Let's move on. Let's try to live a good life rather than worry about uh, something that happened that long ago. Wow. Well, there is something in the nature of whiskey too that is always looking forward. So there is something romantic, and there's a connection there, isn't it? It's always everything you lay down is for some future ambition, and that sort of pie in the sky, which which is is a beautiful legacy to your predecessors. That's beautiful, man. Wow. Funny enough, Paul. I mean, my my personal history runs uh, with both of my parents' families being uh, immigrants from territories lost to Soviet Union at yeah. approximately the same time. So they've come over and they've brought the tradition of uh, of baking these uh, thin, hard crust dry pies with uh, with some uh, potato mash in them and that sort of thing. And, and that's, you know, the roots of my love for rye. So very interesting to hear your, your history. Yeah. And double starch. Every culture loves that. Yeah. Potato inside pie. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Good. That is death by carbicide. Sugars and alcohol, though. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> did, did I mention the long, dark winters? So, yeah. <laughs> Double starch and booze. So the one time I've been in Finland, it was in January. And uh, I was astonished at how actually long the day was. I thought the day was going to be even shorter than it was. Yeah, I mean, it, it starts getting, like, it starts actually getting longer already in, in December. So uh, the end of January, it's no biggie. It's like the end of November when when there's not necessarily that much snow and, and it's just all, all dark all the time when yeah, people yeah. are super depressed. <laughs> but then we make booze. So. <laughs> Yay! And babies are made and civilization goes forward. Thanks to you guys. Yeah, yeah, amen. But you, you, it's, uh, the story with, with the family history is fascinating. And then also you're both really distillers uh, and work w- with distilleries that I've always asked, what if, you know, and take a challenge, be like, what if we start our own distillery? What if we use tea? Can you tell us a, bit, a little bit about Immortal? Yeah, so Immortal is just, it's a fantastic whiskey that is trying to push the limits on what whiskey is and what whiskey can be, uh, but do it in a way that isn't just a, you know, what I call stupid distiller tricks. You know, we're trying to use our creativity and our art as well as the science to actually create new whiskey that somebody wants to actually drink and come back to. Um, you know, Mika, I don't remember what your turn of phrase was earlier, but like, oh, people try it. Oh, I like that. That's kind of cool. And they put it back. And that's great. But what that really is, that's a stupid distiller trick. I mean, somebody tried it. Okay, whatever. I could check that off on my list. I could mark it down on my app that I tried that whiskey and I'm going to move on. And I know what we try to do at Few, and I know what Mika tries to do at Kiro is to make whiskey that people will try, put down, and then come back to. Put it down. And then come back to again because they're actually really enjoying it, and there's something that is really engages the imagination as well as the palate when you're drinking it. Those are the kind of things we want to make, and that's where I think Immortal starts to kind of come in because it takes our... You know, it takes our classic straight through wide whiskey, which is spicy and sweet with some really great kind of jammy fruit flavors. And then by adding it, exactly that one, Dave. 
Uh, and then we, but instead of using water to bring it from barrel strength to bottle strength, uh, we use a cold extracted tea. And you get these great, for the tea, the tea we use for Immortal has these great tropical flavors and dragon fruit and peach and honey, uh, mango, papaya. And it layers it all on top of a backbone with some really nice spice and fruit, as well as astringency from the whiskey. Uh, but the tea also adds a little bit of a, I don't want to call it astringency, but a little bit of backbone that really helps stand up and carry flavor. And I think when people try it, they're going to get engaged with it because it's got the classic rye whiskey that people are looking for. And then it's got a little bit more. And I know we take a lot of uh, heat and whiskey communities for being too pushing the window too far, pushing the edge too far, and that's okay. I, I can accept that. Um, we're just to, whiskeys that people want to drink. Are you able to bottle that as a whiskey? And so the labels labeling changes based on where you are. So in the U.S., it's legally not a whiskey. Uh, it's legally what's called a DSS. Uh, distilled spirit specialty, but the labeling rules allow us to say that use the W word on the label. Uh, so long as you continue on saying uh, rye whiskey with eight immortals uh, tea, uh, which is of course exactly what it is. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas EU rules, it's just labeled rye with uh, eight immortals tea. And we don't yeah. use the W word. So how do you come up with this shit? You do it. Sorry, Dave, go ahead. But how, how do you come up with this shit at home? You just pour some tea in and say, hey, that works. Uh, it's kind of a multi-year experimentation moving on where uh, uh, I am a horrible coffee addict and drink more coffee than a human being realistically should. And Careful, there's a Finn in the room and the Finns love their coffee. <laughs> I'll, I'll, drink, I'll drink coffee with Mika all day. It'll be a great time. But uh, uh, trying to you know trying to mix and play around and do interesting things. And so the first iteration of this, uh, what we call cuts, which is kind of our cut series, was a gin that we cut with coffee, and then we did a different gin that was cut with coffee, and then we did a whiskey that was cut with coffee, the cold cut bourbon. And then we were playing around with other beverages. Um, you know, we use tea in one of our gins. Uh, the few breakfast gin uses some tea. And so we decided to try using tea, but use it with the rye rather than uh, rather than bourbon. And we found some fantastic results playing around with different teas and different providers and different extraction methods. And again, bringing, bringing the art and the creativity of you know, that makes us all kind of get up in the morning, but use it in a way that creates a whiskey or a beverage that people really want to drink. And I think we've done that. That sounds really interesting, I must admit. But, you know, you know, go back in history, you know, whiskey would have been flavored with different herbs and you know, Scotch whiskey was flavored with herbs because it was, you know, it was drunk straight off the still. It was moonshine. So it We've been mixing stuff with whiskey right from the beginning. So, is it is it blasphemous? Is it? I mean, it, it is still whiskey, isn't it? I mean, it's just you, you're cutting it with instead of cutting it with neutral distilled water, you're cutting it with with something that's got flavour in it. But yeah, um, I know it. You know, again, like I said, I know it upsets a lot of the whiskey purists, and that's okay. Um, 
I, I love straight whiskey too. I'm not trying to be the guy that destroys whiskey. Uh, I've been accused of being the guy that destroys whiskey, which just kind of makes me laugh because I actually think whiskey is too strong for me to destroy, even if I wanted to. Um, we're trying to do cool stuff. And if you like it, get on board. And if you don't, let's share a dram together and be friends. Um, it, it's okay. <laughs> it, it is It is a drink. It's so a the drink. primary objective is make it taste good, and it is just a drink, isn't it? So just don't a drink. Get it. I'm not curing COVID. We're not curing cancer. We're bringing friends and family together to share special times. And if having you know a Scotch whiskey that was distilled by a guy named you know a guy named Seamus is what gets you close to your friends, awesome man. Drink that. That's a, that's really cool. If you like this, try yeah. this. It's it's a beverage. It's not an in- yeah. personal insult. Certainly no shortage of options. You're right. So you yeah. don't want to try the immortal? Cool. Don't. Mm-hmm. And then, Mika, have you got anything to say to that? Because I know as much as you guys have sacrificed to, to make just a drink, you've sacrificed. I know Mika, poor Mika has to cut <laughs> his hair off and give it away to charity and wear shirts like that because there's not a lot of, he can afford otherwise. But me, in spite, in spite of shirt. all those sacrifices, me too. In spite of all those sacrifices, though, mate. It's fine. Um, I mean, for, for us, I think we're just so early in the journey since we have to work with EU rules uh, from the get-go that it takes such a long time to get whiskey out there in the marketplace. And, and we are so heavily into rye that we feel that there's, there's so much to explore in the rye and that we want to connect with, as you Paul said, with people coming together, enjoying flavors and tastes and, and making, you know, the whole tasting experience, the social construct rather than just, you know, um, I'm trying this now and tomorrow I'm trying that and I'll, I'll forget what I tried afterwards. So there's, there's so much more about the element and, and the uh, experience of tasting something that we, we want to bring right in its own, all its complexity in, into that and, and get fans for our treatment of rye. So there's so much flavors that we can take out of it still, but you're right in the sense that, I mean, whiskey has always been flavored with something. It's been flavored with a cask predominantly. I mean, it, it's flavoring. So you transform true. the original alcohol, and of course there's subtraction, there's transformation, there's all, all of that, but it's flavor that it creates. So, so uh, I mean, what do you do in addition to that? You smoke or you, you, you smoke the, uh, the peat, Oh, with with peat, the uh, grain that we work with, and that's flavoring as well. So mm. I'm trying to be totally reductionist about it. Of course, there's some some of these like venerable age-old rules which some people find find comfortable to encounter whiskey um, with. But we are all about exploring as well, especially since the Scottish Whiskey Association managed to ban us from using the word single malt when we are using a single raw malt in a single distillery. Uh, but we can't use the term just because of, you know, screw history. But, um, you know, we, we are we're rebelling against the established order as well, uh, but we are at the moment fixated on just uh, digging deep into rye uh, for all the flavors we can get out of there. It's probably a little bit different too. I mean, I know Kiro uh, continues to rapidly grow, but few is the largest, you know, craft rye whiskey distillery in the U.S., uh, our few rides, the number one selling craft craft rye in in the U.S. Uh, we have uh, we have some stocks, uh, so 
Wow. Working on it. I got one question, one more question to ask. So you both mentioned how, you know, Rye's a bastard to work with. Why Rye? <laughs> In Finland, if we would have done balancing or malt, we, we would have felt that it's just a Scottish Me Too operation, just out of Finland, and with nothing new to offer and nothing real and from coming from our roots to offer. Uh, to the world, but rye, it's it's in Finland, it, it's in our soil, it's in our uh, food and drinks culture already. Let's bring it out and make beautiful whiskey out of it. Just simple as that. We make rye even though it's a bastard because it's delicious. It tastes good. It's different. Uh, when we started, a lot of the big boys didn't really have any rye. Um, they do now, of course, but... Uh, you know, when we were coming up, rye was just massively overlooked by the legacy distillers and gave an opening for the small guys to do something that the market wasn't getting from Kentucky. Well, we've had number four, we've had six, I've had uh, Kiro eight, small batch. You now have a listable and ongoing rye? Yes, we do. It's still, we thought that we released a batch of. Uh, I think it was 2,300 bottles. Uh, we, it was supposed to last until the start of October. It went out in six days. So uh, I, I think UK is still getting a couple of bottles in about now. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're doing a small amount this year. We're ramping up big, uh, for next year. And, uh, yeah, we, we hope that the initial interest that is generated is, is real and there's a ton of good fans out there. And, I will definitely drink a drum of a uh, few uh, while, while waiting for more of ours. Well, keep challenging. I know you're both, you're both pushing the category, and that's okay. There's lots of whiskey out there. Do it in your way, and you always have. It's why we really wanted to have you both on, because both of your distilleries and both your personalities are iconic in this category. And as modest and practical and sensible as you both are, you really are thought leaders in, in this industry that's growing. And I can't wait to see the future of it, not just from your distillery, but from every distillery that follows in your footsteps. Thanks a lot for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been great. Great chat. Good fun. Well, it was a bit, it was, we, got, we did get a bit serious there with the Holocaust there in the middle. but And I tried to make it light by making a terrible joke, but... <laughs> I got a few terrible jokes. Don't worry about it. Guys, thanks again. This has been Uncorked. I've been Dr. Whiskey. We've had our guests, Paul and Mika. And of course... I've been Boutique Dave. All right, till next time. Hey, everybody, can you hear my voice? Yes, a little loud, Sam. Ah, tough shit, you got no choice. So grab a glass and sit back in your chair. Cause Uncorked is going live today.